0: If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, the first book in the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 16. If you're using a pew Bible, you'll find it on page 1044. If you're a guest with us, we've been working our way through this section of Matthew's Gospel, and we've come this morning to a very controversial passage of scripture and we're going to begin reading in verse 18. I want to speak for a few minutes on this subject this morning. The church is essential. The church is essential. Matthew chapter 16 beginning in verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ over the past year we have added a new word to our vocabulary it is the word essential this word has become so important that many retailers uh, produced shirts for their employees that said on them I am essential this morning I want to take this new but already worn out word and apply it to the passage before us by giving you this statement. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is essential. Many today have given up on the church, considering it a dying institution. Others because of their past experiences of pain and disappointment have a distorted view of the church still others hold to a skeptical view of the church but it seems that most today even many Christians view the church as optional and irrelevant but I want to remind all of us this morning that the church of Jesus Christ is essential. This passage before us has raised all kinds of questions and controversies throughout the history of the church. And anyone who is serious about their faith wants to understand the correct meaning of these infamous verses. In these verses before us this morning, Jesus gives us a message of great hope to the maligned, beleaguered, rejected, persecuted, and discouraged people of God in every age. No matter what we've experienced in the past and what awaits us in the future, it will all be used for good as the glorious plans and purposes of God for His people will be fulfilled and the church of Jesus Christ will rise triumphant. In this passage, Jesus provides all of us with clarity, with conviction, with confidence, and with a commission concerning the church as he reminds each and every one of us that the church of Jesus Christ is essential. So notice with me, first of all, the clarity Concerning the church in verse 18 Matthew writes Jesus speaking and I tell you you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church this declaration from the Lord Jesus Christ to the Apostle Peter is the center of controversy between Protestants and the Roman Catholic Church concerning Peter and the papacy. For more than 1500 years, the Roman Catholic Church has maintained that this passage teaches the church was built on the person of Peter, who became the first pope and bishop of Rome and from whom the Catholic papacy has since descended. According to Roman Catholicism, belief in a divinely ordained succession from Peter through to the current Pope who is the supreme authoritative representative of Christ on earth is all based around this passage of Scripture. But what I want us to understand this morning is that the Bible is clear about what this passage means. And my job is to reveal its clarity to you. The interpretation that is often brought to this particular verse and this particular phrase, arguing for a divinely ordained apostolic succession from Peter is both presumptuous and unbiblical. Notice in the text with me, first of all, Jesus' declaration. You are Peter. This declaration parallels Peter's confession of Christ in verse 16 when Peter says, you are the Christ. It's as if Jesus is saying, Peter, you have declared who I am and now I'm going to declare who you are. You are Peter. Now, notice carefully next in the beginning of verse 18 that Jesus says that there is a rock on which he is going to build his church. Do you see that in the text? A rock on which Jesus is going to build his church. Now, this statement begs the question when Jesus says he is going to build the church on this rock, what rock is Is he referring to? Is he referring to Peter? Is he referring to Peter's confession of Christ in verse 16 when he says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Or is Jesus referring to himself? Now keep your theological thinking cap on with me for a minute because I'm going into the weeds. Just briefly, then I'll come back out. All right, I don't want you to get lost in the weeds. The word Peter comes from the Greek word Petros, P-E-T-R-O-S. It is a masculine form of the Greek word, and it literally means a small stone or a pebble. The word rock comes from Petra, P-E-T-R-A. It is a feminine form of the same word that is used for Peter. But in this definition, it refers to a rocky mountain or a peak. It is describing and picturing for us something that is firm and something that is immovable. And so here's what I want you to know first of all. That when Jesus says that he is going to build his church on the rock... He is not referring to Peter. He is not referring to a small stone or pebble. You say, well, pastor, why do you say that? How do you know that? Four reasons. Number one, as we'll see next week in verse 22 of this very passage, Peter takes Jesus aside and Peter begins to rebuke Jesus, telling Jesus that he cannot go to the cross and die. Upon which Jesus says to him, Get behind me, Satan. Does it really make sense that Jesus would build his church on a small stone or pebble who moments later tells Jesus he can't go to the cross? Number two, if you move over to Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 4, here's what you'll find that all the disciples come together and they approach the Lord Jesus Christ and they began to ask him, Jesus, who will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus says, you must come like a child. Those are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, doesn't it make sense, church, that if Jesus was referring to Peter as the rock, And Peter was to have this central place in the building of his church that the disciples would not need to ask Jesus who among them was the greatest in his kingdom. Wouldn't they already know? Number three. If you go further into Matthew's gospel in Matthew chapter 20 verses 20 to 28... The mother of the sons of Zebedee come to Jesus and she asks a request of Jesus. And she says, Jesus, I want you to let my one son sit on the right hand of your throne in the kingdom and my other son to sit on the left hand of your throne in the kingdom. Places of prominence and authority in the kingdom of God. Now, wouldn't it make sense, friends, that if Peter was central to the building of the church, that one of those seats would have already been occupied by Peter? Finally, take the confession of Peter himself. Peter recognized himself as an apostle. He mentioned that. But he never claimed a superior title, rank, or position, or privilege over all of the other apostles for himself. In fact, in the book of 1 Peter chapter 5, he referred to himself as a fellow elder. He referred to himself as a bond servant of Christ Jesus is not referring to Peter as the rock that brings us to the second and most popular interpretation of these verses and that is that Jesus is comparing Peter a small stone or pebble to a mountainous rock that is firm and immovable upon which he is going to build his church and that mountainous rock is Peter's confession in verse 16 that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, to be clear and to be fair in interpreting this passage, there is warrant to come to that conclusion. You would not be unfaithful if you interpreted this passage that way, and came to that conclusion that the rock upon which Jesus is building His church is Peter's confession in verse 16. But I don't believe that's the right interpretation. I believe that the focus of this verse, which is the focus of the entire passage before us, which is the focus of the entire Gospel of Matthew, is not about Peter at all. It is about the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Look at your Bible if you have it open. And just look in verses 18, 19, and 20. And note what I am going to point out to you. The word I, referring to Jesus, is used three times in these verses. Jesus says, I, I, I. The word my, referring to Jesus, is used once And the word he is used twice. Six times in three verses, the emphasis of the text is on the Lord Jesus Christ. The focus of this text is not about Peter. It is not about Peter's confession. The focus of this text is Christ. Christ is the foundation, the rock upon which he will build his church you say how can you be so adamant about that interpretation pastor well scripture is the best commentary on scripture and here's what you're gonna find when you study scripture in light of this passage first of all in the Old Testament The word rock that is used in verse number 18 is used repeatedly over and over again as a metaphor for God. And it is never used as a metaphor for man. Let me give you just two examples for the sake of time this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 4. The rock, His work is perfect For all His ways are justice, a God of faithfulness without iniquity, just and upright is He. Who is the rock? God. Psalm 18 and verse 2, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Who does David say is the rock? The Lord, the Lord God. The rock is God, not man. Secondly, the Old Testament prophets prophesied that Jesus would be the rock upon which the church was built. In Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 16, Isaiah says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious corner stone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. And what Isaiah prophesied 700 years before Christ was born into this world, he prophesied that this coming Messiah would be the stone. And not just any stone, the cornerstone, the sure foundation upon which everything else would rest. It's the testimony of the Old Testament that Jesus is the rock. When we come to the New Testament, the word rock is only used 12 times. And it is never used of anyone other than Jesus. I'll give you one example. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4. Paul is pointing back to the wilderness and the people of Israel and he is using them as an example to the Corinthians. And he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and verse 4, And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Christ is the rock. Similarly, in the New Testament, the word stone, when it is not used to refer to a literal stone, refers to Jesus Christ Himself. Romans chapter 9 and verse 33, Paul says, As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. That is none other than Jesus Christ. When we move further into the New Testament, Peter and all the other apostles declared that Jesus was the rock. In Acts chapter 4, verses 10 through 12, this is what they proclaimed. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, is the stone, Jesus is the rock. The Apostle Paul himself clearly, explicitly stated that Jesus is the rock upon whom the church will be built. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 11, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 20 and 21, Paul will unite the work of the prophets in the Old Testament and the work of the apostles, including Peter in the New Testament, and how they were a part of building the foundation, but the foundation that they built for the church was built on the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. And Paul says in Ephesians 2, 20 and 21, Build on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And if I don't have you convinced from Scripture yet, I've saved the best for last. The testimony of Peter himself concerning Jesus Christ and his relationship to the church. And in 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 4 through 8, this is what Peter testifies about the building of the church and its relationship to Jesus Christ. He says, as you come to him, to whom to Christ, a living stone, rejected by men but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture... I submit to you this morning, not based on my interpretation, not based on my opinion, not based upon my thoughts, but based upon the authority of the Word of God and the Word of God alone. That the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is not built upon Peter. It is not built upon apostolic succession to the current Pope the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is built on one person and one person only the one and only true rock the one who is firm the one who is immovable the one who will never leave you the one who will never fail you the one who will be there to the very end the Lord Jesus Christ himself this text It's not obscure. This text is clear. It's just whether or not you're willing to bow to the authority of the Word of God and submit to what the text is teaching you. Christ is the foundation of the church. And I'm telling you, in these days in which we're living, You have to have clarity concerning the church. This world is full of false theology, false teachers, false ideology. And it is my job as your shepherd as well as the other shepherds of this flock to teach you the truth so you will not be deceived by these false errors. Christ is the rock upon which the church is built. And it's clear. Crystal clear. We not only see the clarity concerning the church. Secondly, I want you to see the conviction concerning the church. Look at the next phrase in verse 18. I will build my church. Who will build his church? Jesus will build his church. And with this statement, listen friends, it is a clear reminder to all of us that it is not the pastor's responsibility to build the church. It is not the elder's responsibility to build the church. And it is not the church member's responsibility to build the church. It is the pastor's and elder's responsibility to equip the church. And it is the church member's responsibility to build up the church once they're equipped. But it is the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord Jesus Christ alone responsibility to build His church. Listen to Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 and 12. The Apostle Paul gives clarity about how the church should function. And he says, and he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. You've heard these verses over and over before. They're they're life verses for me. The pastor's responsibility, the teacher's responsibility, the elder's responsibility is to equip the church. And the church's responsibility is to receive the equipping and to take the equipping and to engage with the equipping and to serve and build up one another and build up the body of Christ. And as the pastors and the leaders equip the church and the church receives the equipping and they build up the body of Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ will build His church. We get it backwards. This is God's design It's not the responsibility of church growth experts. It's not the responsibility of denominations. It's not the responsibility of parachurch groups to build the church. It is the Lord Jesus Christ's responsibility to build His church. Notice in the text, there's certainty in this statement. Jesus said, I will build my church. John MacArthur said, no matter how liberal, how fanatical, how ritualistic, how apathetic, or how apostate its outward adherence may be, and no matter how decadent the rest of the world may become, Christ will build his church. Therefore, no matter how oppressive and hopeless their outer circumstances may appear from a human perspective, God's people belong to a cause that cannot Fail. It will not fail. It cannot fail. Because Jesus will build His church. Notice again what the text says. I will build my church. Do you know how He does that? In John chapter 6 and verse 37, Jesus said that all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. All that the Father gives the Son will come to the Son, and when they come to the Son, He will graft them in to His church. In Acts chapter two and verse thirty-nine, Peter declared, "For the promises for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself." From eternity past, God declared a people for himself. And ever since that declaration, he has been working sovereignly, building, adding, strengthening his church. And he will be faithful to complete it to the very end. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, the Bible says that they were praising God and having favor with all people. And listen to the text. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Oh, Peter added to their number. Theatrics added to their number. Experts added to their number. No, friends. The Lord added to their number. The Lord built the church. In Acts chapter 13 and verses 48 and 49, the Gentiles were brought into the church. And when the Gentiles heard this, the Bible says, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed and became a part of the church. Christ building his church. Still not convinced? Acts chapter 16 and verse 5. And so the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily jesus will build his church notice in the text who the church belongs to it is jesus's church it's not your pastor's church it's not the elder's church it's not the deacon's church it's not your church it's not a long time member's church it's the church of the lord jesus christ it's not the government's church It's not the culture's church. It's Jesus Christ's church. A group of people that He has called out from the world and He has grafted into His vine and He is building a body out of. It is a church composed of all who are washed in the blood of Christ, all who are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, all who are renewed by the Spirit of Christ, and all who are united in Christ by faith. It is a church in which every member is baptized with the Holy Spirit of God. Every member is endowed with spiritual gifts to build up the body of Christ. A church in which every member is pursuing holiness and intimacy with Christ. And it is a church that is seeking to live in harmony with its brothers and sisters in Christ. It is a church which is one body. And all who belong to it are of one heart and one mind, and one soul, and hold to the same truths and doctrines that are necessary for salvation in Christ. It is a church in which Jesus Christ is the only architect, the only builder, the only cornerstone, the only foundation, and the only head. It is a church in which Jesus Christ is Lord. It is a church that is not finished, it is a church that is not irrelevant, and it is a church that will never, ever, ever, ever fail. Conviction about the church. And I wonder. In these days of sinking sand and relativism, not believing and holding on to anything, do you have this kind of conviction? about the church I'll just tell you from your pastor's perspective what he thinks the church needs the church needs a revival of church men and church women who have the kind of conviction about the church that Jesus Christ is talking about in this passage and then they live that conviction out in the life of the church and in the community and in the world a conviction about the church Oh, friends, I'm confident. As sure as I'm standing on this platform, Jesus will build his church to the very end. It will never fail. We see the clarity concerning the church and the conviction concerning the church. We see, thirdly, the confidence concerning the church. The end of verse 18, he says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. A better translation for this phrase would be the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. To refer to the gates of Hades is not to refer to an attack that is made on the church. This phrase is always used to describe an attack that is made on the church. Jesus is not talking about an attack that is made on the church. Jesus is talking about a picture of the church of Jesus Christ that is on the offensive and driving back the gates of hell. You say, I don't know, Pastor. You you, kind of had me confused there on the first one. Now I really think you've lost your marbles. Well, look at the text. When is the last time you've seen a soldier use a gate as an offensive weapon? No. Gates are not attacking weapons. Gates are defensive. When an army goes to war, they don't carry gates into the battlefield. This is a picture of Hades on the defensive. And the word Hades corresponds to the Hebrew word in the Old Testament, Sheol, and it's referring to the abode of the dead. And I would submit to you this morning that what Jesus is talking about in this passage with the gates of Hades is a symbol of the organized power of Satan and death towards the church. And what Jesus is in fact declaring in this passage of Scripture is that the power of Satan and the sting of death will never be able to prevail against his church. That the devil may resist his church but the devil cannot stop Christ from building His church. That death may sting the church, but death can never stop Christ from building His church. That through His death, His burial, and His resurrection, Jesus Christ has conquered both death and the devil, and He is building and will continue to build His church. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 24... Peter proclaimed that Jesus loosed the pangs of death because it was impossible for him to be held by them. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14, the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus has defeated the devil who has the power over death. Satan's defenses and death may sting but they will not prevail against the church. As the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed throughout the world, here's what Jesus is teaching in this passage. Look in your Bible and see if I'm telling you the truth. Jesus is saying that as his gospel is proclaimed throughout the world, the gates of hell will be overrun by the truth of the gospel. And men and women and boys and girls will turn to Christ and they will be brought from spiritual death to spiritual life. And there's not a single thing that Satan and death can do about it because they've been defeated at the cross through the Lord Jesus Christ. The church will prevail. It is certain. I would tell you that many wrote the church off over the last year because of COVID-19. And many churches have suffered greatly because of it. But look around you this morning, friends. Christ is still building His church. A pandemic can't stop Him. He's bigger than the pandemic. He's sovereign over it. Nothing can stop Him. Nothing can stop Him building His church. He will build it. It is a certainty. And the gates of hell will never be able to stop it. Oh, I love... What Bishop J.C. Ryle said about this. Nothing can altogether overthrow and destroy the church. Its members may be persecuted, oppressed... Imprisoned, beaten, beheaded, burned, but the true church is never altogether extinguished. It rises again from its afflictions. It lives on through fire and water. When crushed in one land, it springs up in another. The Pharaohs, the Herods, the Neros have labored in vain to put down this church. They slay their thousands and then pass away and go to their own place." The true church outlives them all and sees them buried each in His turn. The church is an anvil that has broken many a hammer in this world and break many a hammer still. The church is a bush which is often burning and it is never consumed. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Do you believe that? Do you have that kind of confidence this morning in Christ and his church or have the events of this past year and the events in your life caused you to lose your certainty and your conviction over Christ and his rule and work in our world well we see the clarity concerning the church the conviction concerning the church the confidence concerning the church and finally Verses 19 and 20, we see the commission concerning the church. Jesus said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Like verse 18, verse 19 has been so misunderstood It's been filled with all kinds of false interpretations and unbiblical ideas and practices. People walk around claiming to bind this object or that object. People walk around uh, saying that they're binding this demon or that demon. Claiming that they've got the authority of Jesus to do all of these crazy things. This is not what this verse is teaching If you take that interpretation of this verse, it's as if you're in control of heaven and you're telling heaven what is going to happen. Show me anywhere else in the Bible, friends, where a Christian has the authority to tell heaven, to tell God, to tell Jesus Christ, to tell the Holy Spirit what to do. Silence. You can't think of one. You know why? There isn't one. You're not God. He is. No, this text is not saying that. Jesus is not saying that God will obey what the church did on earth. Jesus is saying that the church will do on earth what God has already willed to be done in heaven. That God is the one who is giving the marching orders to the church. The church is not giving the marching orders to God. Now look at your Bible and observe that the keys of the kingdom of heaven are connected in verse 19 to the words bind and loose. And so then it begs the question what do we do with keys? We unlock and we lock doors. What does bind and loose mean? Well, this was a familiar phrase that the rabbis often spoke. Binding meant to forbid, and loosing meant to permit. In essence, to lock. And to unlock. And so keys of the kingdom and bind and loose go together. This same promise is made in Matthew chapter 18 in the context of church discipline. And in Matthew chapter 18 verses 18 to 20... Jesus says, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I among them. There's another passage that is familiar to this one in John chapter 20 and verse 23. And Jesus said to his disciples, If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. This passage, Matthew 16, 19. Matthew chapter 18, verses 18 and 20. And John chapter 20 and verse 23, taken together, emphasize the fact that if someone has the keys of the kingdom to bind or loose, they can open or close the door of the kingdom they can forgive or withhold forgiveness. What's he saying? Jesus commissioned Peter and all of the disciples and by extension every single believer in the history of the church with the authority to declare what is, fi- what is divinely forbidden and permitted on earth. It means that authority has been entrusted to Christ's church to proclaim his message of the kingdom. It means that this morning I can stand before you and conduct the foolish act of preaching and proclaim to you with confidence and authority who will go to heaven and who will go to hell. Not based upon my opinion, but based upon what God says in his word. So I can stand before you with authority and say today that if you will repent of your sins and turn away from them, if you will confess your sins to God, if you will turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and trust in Him and what He's done for you on the cross by dying for you, being buried and raised from the grave, if you will do that and if you will walk in newness of life with Jesus, you will go to heaven. And that is a true statement, and I can say it with authority because the Word of God says that very statement. I can also say to you this morning with divine authority that if you refuse to repent of your sins, if you refuse to confess your sins, if you refuse to turn to Jesus Christ, and if you refuse to trust in Christ as your Savior, you will go to hell when you die. That's not me saying that. That's what God's Word says says about that it also means that as a church as the people of god we can declare to this sinful fallen world what god deems acceptable and what god forbids and we do it all with authority not based on our opinion and how we feel and what we think about it but based on the sole authority of the word of god so i can stand before you with the With authority this morning and tell you that every single life is created in the image of God and every single life is precious because it has been fearfully and wonderfully made and because of that I can say to you with authority that abortion is wrong and unacceptable. I can say to you this morning with authority that any form of racism whatsoever is wrong and unacceptable. I can say to you with authority this morning that the way our culture ignores our senior adults when they need people the most is unacceptable and wrong. And I can say all of those things with authority this morning without apology because of Psalm 139. I can also say to you this morning with authority and confidence and conviction that no matter what this world says, no matter what our government says, no matter what kind of pressure is put upon us, homosexuality will always be an abomination to God. Transgender gender will always be an abomination to God. And I can say those things with confidence today because the word of God is clear on those subjects. It's not that the word of God is shady on any of these things that we're dealing with in our culture this morning, friends. It's that the world can't stomach what the word of God says about them. And the church has been given the keys of the kingdom to bind and loose, to declare what is right and what is wrong what is forgiven and what is not forgiven, what is true and what is false, what is lovely and what is terribly ugly and an offense in the sight of a holy God. And when you and I stand on the very authority of the Word of God, we can stand with courage, we can stand with confidence, we can stand with conviction, no matter who's against us, because the Lord Jesus Christ is with us. And if He is with us, who can be against us? He'll build His church. Notice the text. Verse 20. After... Jesus gives this commission. He looks at his disciples and says, now don't tell anybody. (laughs) What? How odd of God. Why would he do that? Because he's going to the cross. And the culture that he lived in was looking for an earthly king and an earthly ruler. And he had to show them that he was a divine king and a divine ruler. And once he rose from the grave, he gathered this motley crew of disciples together on a hillside and he commissioned them once again to go into all the world. And then he ascended to heaven and told them, one day I'm coming back. And until then, I'm going to build my church and you're going to be a part of it. So tell the nations, tell the next generation. And when they hear it, have them tell the generation behind them. And when they hear it, have them tell the generation behind them. So that it is no longer a secret, friends. It is to be proclaimed from the rooftop, just like I've done this morning. Christ is building his church. Now I want you to listen carefully to how I've ended the sermon today. I'm going to read it word for word and listen to me. Every word is important. I've tried to bear my soul to you this morning through this text about my conviction and confidence and clarity about the church. And my prayer is that just if even just a little bit of me would rub off on some of you, I'll be happy when I go home today. Just a little bit. Many of you know my story. I grew up in the church and I've never known what it is like to be absent from the church. And while I never fought going to church and often enjoyed it, I never had a passion for the church until my life was changed by Jesus Christ. And it was then that a deep and abiding love for the church and for the people of God began to form in my life And it has grown immeasurably ever since. I love the church. I love this church. I'm a satisfied customer. If I could be anywhere else in the world preaching this morning, I would choose here. I'm passionate about the church. For it is in the church of Jesus Christ that I found a home. I found a family I found friends and I found a band of brothers who will fight the battles of life and the unseen forces of darkness by my side it is where I have found my passion in life what God created me to do believe it or not my place and my contribution to the kingdom of God it's where I found my wife. It's where I got married. It's where I've raised and continue to raise my children. It's where I've slowly been conformed and continue to be conformed to the image of Christ. And some of you probably wish it would go a little faster. Listen. Listen. It's where I have walked through the deep, dark valleys of darkness with my brothers and sisters in Christ. It's where I've learned the faithfulness of plodding in the normal mundane seasons of life. It's where I've stood on the mountain peaks of joy and have experienced a small taste of the glory that awaits the people of God in heaven. It is what I have given the best years of my life to and it's what I'll give my dying days to it's the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ and far from being a relic far from being optional far from being irrelevant the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ is essential And he will build his church to the end. Let's stand for prayer.